In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Three in One who comes in order to show us what it means to exist outside of the law. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, there's that fun gospel reading about render unto Caesar what is Caesar's and render unto God what is God's and that's not what my sermon is going to be based on this morning. Uh, instead, what we're doing throughout this Outlaw series is, is that I, I'm using some of the other texts because I know that I, I've been using the gospel texts in, in order to uh, de- develop the sermons and, and to bring those things across. Now, that said, um, uh, the gospel texts and, and all of the texts really all come together and, and they all speak kind of in a unified voice to one big overall theme. That's why we have all of these readings together. It's not just um, what I thought when when I was a kid was that, oh, well, these are just the, you know, the the four different paths that the preacher can go down, but they seem to be sort of unrelated. They're all supposed to be related. And all of the readings today are all about what it means that, that God is including these people that are called the nations. Uh, what it means that God is including all of these people that are called the people. Uh, what it means that, that God is including these people that are called the Gentiles. It, 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 there's this sort of counterintuitive thing that's happening in these scriptures for most people that are originally hearing them. Because most of the people that are originally hearing all of these different readings are are kind of assuming that what God is all about is that God is all about his chosen people and that his chosen people, the chosen people of Israel, that he's exclusive with them, that there's a sense that uh, the only people that God cares about are these people that he's chosen in order that he might have a people, a remnant of his own. And we find out in these readings, that that is not the case, which is good news for many of us, because many of us do not have the sort of ethnic heritage that it means to be a part of the nation of Israel. And it's good news for people like the Thessalonians, who are largely a Gentile people. They are Greek people that live in a Roman city. And there's not a whole lot of people there that are ethnically Jewish. And so it's good news for those people. And it's good news for a lot of people. And where I'm going to start off today is, is we're going to talk about this guy named Cyrus. This guy named Cyrus who shows up in this Isaiah text, in, in Isaiah 45. And it, it kind of, if you just lop off the first verse of this text and you just looked at the rest of it, you would go, oh, well, this just kind of looks like something that, that, you know, God would say about a king of Israel. God would say about a leader in Israel. God would say about his own people. And you would be correct in that. Because if you just rewind the tapes one chapter earlier in in Isaiah 44, uh, what you have is that God is saying um, that I am grasping Jacob by the hand. Jacob is my chosen. Jacob is all of this. And Jacob is the the name for Israel. In fact, if you remember your Old Testament Bible stories, that the name Israel is actually God's sort of nickname for Jacob. And and so what God is doing here is, is he's kind of playing around 
with this Cyrus guy and, and, and inserting his name in where you had just seen the people of Israel's name. And, and what he's doing there is he's showing that his salvation is more expansive than sometimes we give it credit. And he, he's saying, look at what I'm doing. What I'm doing is, is not this narrow thing. What I'm doing is this broad thing. What I'm doing is I, I'm including this guy who is named Cyrus. And this guy who's named Cyrus, I'm even calling him my anointed. Now, now to you, that's probably not a big term. But this, this term, the anointed one, it, it, it gets translated the Messiah. And we kind of know what a Messiah is. And, and we're like, whoa, Cyrus is God's Messiah? I thought that that was only Jesus. And you would think that because basically the, the first time that we have somebody who really looks like God's Messiah, God's anointed, God's king, God's ruler for his people, it's David. And David becomes this sort of picture of what it means for Israel to have a leader who follows God with his heart, follows God with, uh, with what he does, follows God in a, in a way that, that follows him into the, the strange places that God is going to lead him. And it's been a while since David, at this point in Isaiah, it's been a while, and the Davidic throne, the, the dynasty that has been lived out since David, well, it, it's gotten kind of weak. And it doesn't look much like David anymore. And so what God is doing here is God is saying that he, he's actually taking the Davidic throne. He's taking the rights and the responsibilities of that Davidic throne, and he is putting them on a Persian, a guy named Cyrus. A guy named Cyrus the Great is how we know him in history, and, and who he is in history is he is the, the sort of conqueror of Babylon. He, he's the, the one who, who comes in, and, and he is the one who then sets the people of Israel free to go back to their own nation, their own land. Because if you remember your Old Testament history, what happens is that God's people get taken out of their land in this thing called the exile. And, and they're taken out of there and they're put in this place called Babylon. And they have to live in Babylon for 70 years in exile. Until God allows them to return back to their homeland. And here's what Isaiah is saying. Is that there is this guy named Cyrus. And this guy named Cyrus is going to be the one who leads his people back to where they belong. Leads his people back to the promised land. And the amazing thing about that is. Is that it's not somebody from the Davidic throne. Instead. God is going to use a priest named Ezra. He's going to use a cupbearer named Nehemiah. He's going to use all of these people from Israel, but he's not going to have them as the lead person. And to Israel, that, that seems backwards. 
to Israel that, that seems like it's not right. Seems like they should be out front. Seems like they should be in charge. Seems like they should be the example of what it means to be good and righteous and perfect. And yet here, God is giving all of those things, all of those rights, all of those responsibilities to this Persian king named Cyrus. And it's a moment in which we have to kind of pause ourselves as Christians. Because as Christians, we know another people that are chosen by God. As Christians, we know another people that have been chosen and have been placed in a position of prominence in God's kingdom. And that position of prominence is, is our baptisms, that, that we can point to those things just as surely as any Israelite could point to their lineage. We can point to our baptisms and we can say, God, we're your people. Use us. Give us the rights. Give us the privileges. And God has been doing that for eons and eons and centuries and centuries. He has been using his people, his baptized people, the church, and he has been saying, I'm giving you the rights, I'm giving you the responsibilities, I'm giving you everything that you need in order to be my people. But so often, we look like the Davidic throne after David. So often we look at the behavior of the church. And it doesn't look like something that we would imagine that God wants to use. So often we look at ourselves and we kind of wonder, well, why is, is God not, not doing stuff with the church in, in maybe the way that he has before? And a lot of times what we're doing there is we're, we're placing the, the blame on God. We're, we're saying, God, why, why aren't you using us to do the great things that you did of old? And sometimes God's response to that is, well, you don't look like the church of old. And so instead, I'll use some other folks. Instead, I'll use some Cyruses. Instead, I'll use some Persians. Instead, I'll use some of this, some of that. Because the beautiful thing about who God is, is that God does choose his people, but God also does not allow for his promises to go unfulfilled. See, God looks at, at the people of the Davidic throne and he says, there, there's not much here for me to use, but I'll, I'm not going to give up on my promises. I'm not even going to give up on my promises to my chosen people. Instead, I'm, I'm going to work outside of that and I'm, I'm going to use Cyrus. 
I'm going to anoint Cyrus. I'm going to have Cyrus be my Messiah. I'm going to have him be the one who then goes forth and does the stuff that needs to get done. And that's his story with the church as well. Is that God looks at the church. God looks at the church, his chosen people, his baptized people, and he says, you're not getting this done. You're not fulfilling the righteousness that I have given you to do. You are not doing the things that I have commanded you in Scripture. You are not living the lives that I have asked you to live in Scripture. You have not done the things that I want you to do. And so because of that, I'm going to choose someone who is from outside of the church. And that one who is outside of the church is outside of the church because he's outside of all of humanity in some ways. Because he's human He's also God. And God chooses Jesus to be our Cyrus. God chooses Jesus to be our Persian. God chooses to have his own son become our outlaw. The unconventional choice. The choice who is not a part of the church but rather who is the whole reason that the church exists and the whole reason that the church can continue to exist because he continually forgives our sins, continually forgives us when we are not looking like we are supposed to as his people. And so God is the ultimate outlaw. Because he chooses outside of the law that we are set under. He chooses to not hold us responsible for that law, but rather he chooses to hold Jesus responsible for that law as he is crucified and dies on the cross. And he raises him again. So that he can be our leader. So that he can be the one through whom all of the nations come. So that he can be the one through whom all of us, no matter how well we mirror what it should look like to be the church. That all of us are still able to say that because of Jesus Christ, I am chosen. Outside of the law, but inside of the gospel. Outside of what's expected of me, but inside of what Jesus did for me. Outside of what this should look like, and inside of what it does in Jesus. And so may you recognize this week and this season as we get ready to celebrate a reformation. May you remember that you are an outlaw. 
Because Christ was made an outlaw so that you could be a part of his church, a part of his kingdom, a part of his people. Amen. Please.